0: I've got an extremely exciting announcement for you. If you listened to our last episode where I took a cruise through the Modern Bar Cart mailbag, you know that we wrapped up with a question about what new products we've been working on. Over the past few weeks, I can tell you we've been hard at work putting the finishing touches on some flavorful mixers that we're super excited about. And I'm pleased to report that the wait is officially Today, Modern Bar Cart is pleased to officially welcome Sly Syrups and Garnishes to our cocktail mixer family. We're launching with three product flavors here. Simple by Sly, which is a really high quality organic simple syrup. Ginger by Sly, which is a fresh ginger syrup that's great for mules, bucks, and other cocktail spinoffs. And Hot by Sly, which is a cinnamon chili syrup that will warm you from the inside out. Like embitterment bitters, sly syrups are certified USDA organic, which means that they're produced one, in a certified organic facility, and that two, the ingredients we use to make these syrups can be traced back to organic certified producers and handlers. So there's kind of a chain of custody involved that allows us to know exactly who's handling the ingredients and how they're treating them, all the way up to us. And you know that we always treat our ingredients with the most care. So that when you pick them up off the shelf, you can have confidence that you're getting really high quality stuff. To that end, we got to throw a huge shout out to our partners here in Washington, D.C., Union Kitchen, who do a fantastic job maintaining their facility to organic standards so that we at Modern Bar Cart can focus on the quality and cost effectiveness of our products. So definitely thank you, thank you, thank you to our partners at Union Kitchen. And if you want to check out some snazzy pictures of our Sly Syrups product line, follow us on Instagram at Modern Bar Cart or like us on Facebook. We'll be releasing some product shots over the next few days, and we hope to have those syrups up on e-commerce very soon so that you can have them shipped right to your door. Moving on to this week's featured cocktail, I'd like to introduce you to a friend of mine called the Corpse Reviver Numero Dos, Corpse Reviver Number 2. This is a really exceptional New Orleans cocktail that stands right alongside the Sazerac, the Vucare, and the Ramos Gin Fizz as that city's finest cocktail contributions to the world. Here's the ingredients. According to imbibe.com, one ounce gin, one ounce Cointreau, which is an orange liqueur, one ounce Lille Blanc or Blanc Vermouth, one ounce fresh lemon juice, one dash or bar spoon of absinthe. And finally, an orange peel garnish. And you'll notice that's pretty much a perfect ratio. Everything's one to one to one to one. And there's a lot of questions about the ratios for this drink. Personally, I tend to go a bit higher on the gin and a bit lower on the Cointreau and the lemon juice so that I get less sweet and sour and more of the botanicals and the absinthe. But that's, again, all based on my personal preference. There's also the question of whether you add the absinthe straight to the cocktail shaker or whether you should do uh, an absinthe rinse in the cocktail glass before serving. Again, personal preference there. One way, personally, I find to completely sidestep that question is by means of a device called an atomizer, which is essentially a tiny spray bottle or mister that you can pick up on Amazon for about 10 or 15 bucks. And what you do is you fill that bad boy with about two or three ounces of absinthe, and you can atomize a few spritzes right on top of your cocktail glass as a finishing touch. So you get that really nice aromatic punch. So for ingredients, you know, like absinthe, rose water, fernet, even mezcal, things that are very potent and can be used effectively in very small doses, and atomizer's a really nifty tool that allows you to dial in on the correct amount for each drink when the ingredients start to dip below something like a quarter of an ounce and and get really hard to measure. Anyway, you make a Corpse Reviver number two by putting all your ingredients, your gin, your orange liqueur, your blanc vermouth or lele, your lemon juice, and optionally your absinthe into a cocktail shaker with ice. You give that a really nice healthy shake and you strain it into a cocktail glass, preferably chilled, and garnish with an orange peel twist. Hyper refreshing drink, and it's great for both the summer when you need an afternoon pick-me-up, or in the winter when citrus prices tend to be lower. Pro tip there. We do talk about the Corpse Survivor Cocktail in today's episode, which features distiller Braden Bumpers of McClintock Distilling Company, based in Frederick, Maryland. Braden and I recorded this episode during the summer, right before I left for Tales of the Cocktail Conference in New Orleans. And Unfortunately, the audio file needed a little bit of TLC due to the heat and humidity, the large kind of echoey distillery, and some background noise problems. So, big shout out to Chris Preston, our favorite DC sound mixer, for spending some time with this audio and taking care of some of the interference for you. And. As you listen to Braden and I chat about distilling, I want you to imagine we're sitting in their beautiful distillery next to their gorgeous column stills. And if you're curious about what that space looks like, you can go ahead and check out the pictures in the show notes at ModernBarCart.com. Some of the topics we discuss in this episode include, of course, the art and science of distillation, what a drunken pig might taste like, the differences between craft spirits and larger corporations, What costs determine the retail price of your favorite whiskey or gin? The value of drinking your mistakes? What cocktail Mark Twain would drink on a Mississippi River paddle boat? And much, much more. Braden and McClintock Distilling Company are one of the reasons why Frederick is one of my favorite spots to visit in Maryland, whether on business or pleasure, and I'm sure you'll understand why after listening to our conversation. Enjoy, folks. Hey, everybody. I am sitting here in Frederick, Maryland at McClintock Distilling with Braden Bumpers. Braden, thanks for uh, joining me for the podcast today. Thanks for having me on. So, we are here to talk about a bunch of stuff. Uh, we're here to talk about craft distilling, what distillation is. We're here to talk about McClintock and your project especially. Um, but can you basically
1: just give us the overview of who you are and what you do? Sure. So My name is Braden Bumpers. I'm one of the head distillers and owners here at McClintock Distilling. Um, we're a small craft operation out of downtown Frederick and uh, there's only two of us right now. So I- I do a little bit of everything um, but I distill the uh, gin and vodka here at the distillery. Awesome. Um, so how long have you been doing this gig? So Tyler and I started this company about six years ago was when the idea was born. We uh, had a background in brewing but distilling was always our passion. So what we did is we uh, spent about three or four years, um, fundraising, kind of fleshing out the idea of the distillery, playing around with recipes on a small batch. Um, we apprenticed at a distillery up in Chicago called Koval Distilling. Oh, neat. Yeah, um, oh. yeah, which they have a great, great bourbon, some of the great stuff. And, um, once we kind of got all of that together, uh, we, Finally found a building that would fit us have a beautiful 105 year old historic building down here um, Which took us about 17 months to renovate and we finally got open in December of this past year It, it looks really really good a lot of exposed brick a lot of wood
0: um, <laughs> And a lot of windows so you can just kind of look in and see all of the uh, the distillation magic going on. Yes That's awesome. So I was kind of scratching my head there for a second because you, you said we started experimenting with small batches and <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, isn't home distillation illegal? And then, you know, you clarified with uh, your, your kind of externship or apprenticeship yes. with Koval Can you talk a little bit more about uh, what it was like to go out there as somebody who, um, you know, kind of like as a novice and and uh, apprentice at one of these major distillers?
1: Sure. So we, we were there for a little while um, and a lot of the stuff that we thought we had a pretty good handle on, like the uh, mash. And the fermentation, which is what we had been doing for a long time, it was just—it was very helpful to kind of go through and see this stuff on a large platform to see, you know, uh, some of the other challenges of doing these larger batches. Um, and then the distillation was something that was very fortunate to um, to work with them at. They have a great uh, great product, so they kind of walked us through some good techniques that they use, um, and uh, we were able to work with some coda stills, which is what we use here. Um, So they are Austrian, so we learned the whole thing in the metric system, and we've stayed on that now here, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. So do other distillers use the the royal or standard measures? It depends. Um, From our standpoint, it makes a lot more sense to do things in Celsius and liters um, from a production standpoint. But, you know, some people just it makes a lot of sense in Fahrenheit, and that's what they want to stick yeah, to. Yeah, that's really
0: interesting. The thing that, <laughs> the thing that always um, frust- frustrates me whenever I'm trying to make large format cocktails is mm-hmm. that the bottles themselves come in milliliters. So 750 milliliters that is a bottle, sense. and then all cocktail recipes pretty much are in ounces. So <laughs> you know, I have to do like all this magical conversion. I actually have a, a cocktail spreadsheet, which sounds pretty nerdy, but whenever <laughs> I have to uh, convert that for a, for a big batch cocktail, I have to do that. That so,
1: sounds like it'd be pretty handy to have, them. though.
0: It is. It, it saves a lot of uh, a lot of grief so um, can you talk a little bit more about McClintock your product and if you have a, a mission or a, a feel that you're going
1: for sure so yeah um our our main mission is we're trying to make premium quality spirits. That's our number one goal. But we also have a few other things we're trying to accomplish with what we're doing here. Um, one is we focused on being the first organic certified distillery in Maryland um, pretty hard. Um, we try to keep all of our uh, grains that we get in to the top standard that we can get them in because the best quality raw ingredients you use, the best quality spirits you get out. Um, And the organic certification was important for us to kind of spur local growth of organic farms, start getting some local grains in here. Um, And we also uh, are also trying to do everything we can to be as sustainable as possible. So we designed our own cooling system here, try and keep our wastewater to a minimum, all of our spent mash um, that we produce uh, rather than dumping it down the drain we give it as pig feed to a local farmer um, and this weekend is actually our big pig roast down here uh, so we get one pig out of every litter um, and in, in addition to that we're also uh, 100% wind powered at this distillery so we have a pretty big environmental commitment as well. That's awesome. I really like the uh,
0: the the one pig out of every litter. Of that. yeah. <laughs> That's like a tithing tithing or, or giving a percentage of yeah, you well, your income to. Yeah, well, you
1: know, if you sell them the 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 feed, you have to be an agriculture feed you know, there's 20,000 permits that go with that. So we just give it to him for free and he gives us one pig out of every litter. It's a fair lo- trade.
0: That is such a fair trade. <laughs> oh man. Uh, well, I'm excited. I'm actually gonna be here for that barbecue. So I'm excited to see what a, a,
1: a mash fed pig tastes yeah, like. It's good, probably 3% alcohol when they get it. So very relaxed pig. I'm oh, thinking good, nice man. nice tender meat. Oh man, I'm
0: so I'm stoked for that. So, <laughs> all right, so you've dropped so far. Uh, a couple of distillation terms like mash, for example. Sure. Um, and one of the things I want to do here before we jump in too, too far as I want to talk about your products, and then I want to give a a brief overview of the distillation process. Sure. Because it's a little slightly different for different products, I imagine. So
1: can you give us a rundown of what you are cranking out right now? Sure. So we have a vodka, a gin, and a whiskey. We're a grain distillery at this point. We don't deal with any fruit, Um, but I can kind of walk through the basics of distillation. (laughs) Essentially what you're doing is you're making something called a mash, which is essentially a beer. We grind in between 1,000 and 1,200 pounds of grain into about 1,600 liters of water. It's kind of like a porridge that we make. And then we add enzymes to break down those starches into sugars. Very similar to what a brewery does, we just use enzymes, whereas they would use malt. And then from that, we cool it down, we pitch in our yeast, and then we transfer it to a fermenter um, where it can take anywhere between two days and six weeks to ferment, depending on what product you're making. And uh, at that point, you essentially have, uh, chemically speaking, the same thing as a beer, although you would not want to drink most whiskey mashes. And then what we do that's different than most breweries is we take it one step further and we distill the alcohol out. So we pump our mash into our pot still, And we heat up the mash between 76.7 degrees Celsius uh, and keep it under 100 degrees Celsius. So we want to evaporate as much of the alcohol as we can without taking any of the water uh, with it. So we want as high purity alcohol as we can. Okay. So, yeah, I'm drawn not to get too, too science-heavy here. Uh, so once we have the vapor, we can refine it through a variety of ways and distill it at different proofs. And that's um, the alcohol vapor? Yes, the alcohol vapor. And then uh, the final stage that every distillery does is a condenser, which you cool that vapor back down into a liquid and you collect it. And then from there, you can do a variety of different things to it to make a variety of different products. Hmm. So does alcohol evaporate at a lower point than water? Yes, yes. Okay. So that's why we're keeping it lower than the boiling point of water is because we want to target all of that alcohol. But water and alcohol have a kind of special relationship in which you can never take all the alcohol out of the water once they've been blended and you can never take all of the water out of the alcohol. Okay, gotcha.
0: Yes. Okay, interesting. Um, So it looks like, just taking a glance
1: back behind us here, it looks like you have a couple different types of stills. Uh, yes. So we have, a th- we have a hybrid still, which is a little bit different. Um, so what a lot of people have in their mind is something called a pot still, which is uh, what you see in the old like Irish and Scotch distilleries. It's just a big copper vessel um, that you heat up the mash, and you just basically put it right into the condenser and collect it. What we have in between that and our condenser is something called a reflux column, um, which is the big copper column in the middle, It's got a bunch of plates on it that we can turn on or off. Um, There's a bit of water that sits in each one, and if we have it turned on, it puts the alcohol vapor through the liquid water, and it refines it up to a higher proof. So we can distill uh, products that we make, like our gin and our vodka, at 95% pure ethyl alcohol. Um, We like to keep those really clean and pure because they're neutral spirits. Um, But if we were doing whiskey, we would only turn on one or two of those plates and distill ours around 80% alcohol, which is still fairly clean um for a whiskey. Gotcha. Gotcha. Sounds like I mean it sounds
0: like the more you know that just the deeper down the rabbit hole you go with the <laughs> science. How how long did it take you to to learn all the science and just uh I, I, I guess it's it's a a precision and process-oriented mindset, sure. right?
1: Yeah, it, it certainly is. It's it's kind of you get both sides of it. Distilling at its core is a fairly simple process. You basically just heating up and then cooling down alcohol vapor. But when you get into a lot more of the subtleties, like making cuts and you know pH and what kind of like slow distillation methods you want to do, that's when you get into a little bit more knowledge. And there is so much stuff that's out there. Um, there's always something more that you can learn about distillation technique and engineering and all of that
0: cool so uh ph just to just to define a couple terms you dropped ph (laughs) refers to how how much acidity or how little acidity, I guess, Uh, whether something's more acidic or more basic. Correct. And what does that affect?
1: That affects the taste. So that's one of those subtle things. Um, We measure the pH. We don't do any adjustments for it unless it's outside of the bounds, in which case there's probably an infection or something else that we need to deal with. Um, We use it more as an indication, but I know there's other very large distilleries in Tennessee and Kentucky that adjust their pH to determine the flavor profile you get out of it.
0: Gotcha, and the other thing that you mentioned, I'm blanking on right. Uh, cuts. So, yes. cuts have always been kind of an interesting thing to me. So, you've explained the process of distillation. Is basically, you are taking. Uh, raw material like a grain. So um, what do you use for your, for your, um, your grains? What's your mash bill, so to speak?
1: So we have different mash bills, but our standard rye mash bill, uh, we use mostly rye and a little bit of wheat and a little bit of corn. Those are the three grains that go in all of our whiskeys here.
0: Okay. So it's kind of a blend um, and you get different characteristics from those different. Correct. So you put these things, you make your, your porridge, you make your beer, essentially, mm-hmm. and then you run it through the still. So really, distillation is kind of like the last third of this process. Correct. Yeah. Um, so this is where the cuts come in, right? Right. All right, so can you explain? I think cuts are actually fairly simple
1: and I really like, I like what they're designed to do. Sure. So can you explain that? Sure, so every distillation has three parts that come out um, separately as we're distilling it. The first spirit that comes out of a distillation is called the heads. The heads have a lot of volatile chemicals in there. They have things like acetyl alcohol and acetone, methanol, um, which are natural byproducts of the fermentation process. But they're so volatile, they have a lower boiling point. So they're the stuff that comes out first. So we try and build that up and then take all of that out at once. The heads... Tastes really bad. Uh, That's the like nail polish remover uh, taste you get in the acetyl alcohol and acetone. So we take probably the first 10 or 15 percent of every distillation run is made up of heads. We save our heads here and we use them for cleaning, um, but we don't put any of that back into the product. So I like to use uh, moonshine blindness. If you ever heard of that, people who drink the backwoods moonshine and the head, if you drink straight heads, it's really bad for you. So yeah. that's what causes that.
0: And so another, another one of those reasons, besides the insane fire hazard, yeah. uh, that, that we're not allowed to uh, have stills in our home, yes, whereas it's... home brewing is 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 fine, but home distillation is a completely You're separate... They're real
1: dangerous there, for sure. Right. Um, so after the heads come out, the next part is called the hearts. Um, we test that for alcohol content, for flavor profile, and for character. And if it checks all the boxes, we'll switch from heads to hearts. <laughs> and the hearts is what you collect for the final spirit so we collect probably the next 50 to 60% of the distillation in hearts um, and we just blend that down and either barrel it or bottle it right there and then the last part that comes out is called the tails and that's as we're getting close to the end of the cook we're increasing that temperature we're getting closer to the boiling point of alcohol and a lot of the heavier oils, essential oils that are found in the grains will come over give it kind of like a grainy grassy taste which is not the flavor that you want in your whiskeys. But we do collect all of our tails and we actually redistill them because there is a lot of really good alcohol, a lot of good character trapped in those tails. So uh, we we make full use of everything that we put out here. Um, I know there's some other distilleries that do some pretty creative things with their heads and tails as well. So um, in terms of as an industry, most craft guys really put everything to use, which is pretty cool.
0: Well, I imagine if you're trying to... uh, keep your price point low and mm-hmm. you are trying to save money anywhere you can. Yes. One of the things that I have learned a lot about as I've, you know, produced products for consumption, consumer packaged goods mm-hmm. in, you know, mixers, uh, bitters and syrups and stuff is just how much goes into the cost of a bottle, right? Yeah. So a couple of things I want to accomplish here is, you know, we've talked about the process of distillation and it's I think personally like the best way to learn is to actually come and do a tour of a distillery, right? So that you've given like a really good basic Uh, overview of what it's like but I I feel like especially if anybody's in the DC or Maryland area they should come on down to McClintock and actually take a tour right so when are you guys open for tours?
1: Uh, We're open Thursdays and Fridays from four to eight and we're open Saturdays from noon to eight and Sundays from noon to six and tours are always free at the distillery so our goal is to educate the consumers as much as possible here about good spirits
0: yeah so that's great so definitely uh, for those of you listening in the mid-Atlantic area there's probably a pretty substantial percentage of you at least at this point definitely head over to Frederick there's McClintock and there's a ton of other stuff to do in Frederick as well Mm -hmm. it's a great city uh, and it's kind of a hidden gem but it's easy to get to because it's right on one of the main arteries between DC and Baltimore and all those other mid-Atlantic cities so now that we've gotten the overview of the distillation process I want to turn the attention to our home bartenders because this is a podcast about home bartending and the joy of making cocktails. Obviously you can't make your cocktails without spirits but I guess with the state of the spirits industry right now we have a lot of brands like yours that are popping up. Sure. Really po- it's, it's, it's a popular thing to do and for good reason but what I want to give uh, our listeners is some knowledge to be able to cut through some of A, the static when it comes to like, you know, when you walk up to that shelf and you just see this of new stuff. Like how do you, how do you know what to choose? So maybe some, some quality indicators. Sure. And then I also want to talk, maybe let's, let's get there, but let's start by to- uh, talking a little bit about what, are the costs that go into each bottle for you, just so people can get out of their own heads as sure. consumers and get into your head as a
1: distiller? How, like, what does it cost
0: to make a bottle of, let's say, your whiskey?
1: So, um, for us, we pay a premium for all of the raw ingredients we use. We are organic certified, so we're paying more for the grain. Um, you know, glass is obviously expensive. We use a lot of utility here as well, so it is somewhere between twelve and fifteen dollars for us to. Make make each bottle and uh so we have to sell it we try and keep our price points as low as possible but i know when consumers go into the store and you see you know a bottle of jack daniels that's on the shelf and then you have all these great craft products you know you we have to pay a premium for for a, a premium product we can't produce on the scale that some of these bigger distilleries can mm-hmm. um so it's definitely for for anybody looking at at craft spirits it, you, you pay for the quality you get out for sure
0: yeah well and so i mean you know just to to get a little bit more granular you got your grain right so you yep. your your base grain shipment and organic cost more I, i've i found that as well yeah. so <laughs> you know how case. that goes um so you got your organic grains you've got the cost of Putting them, you know, the lights on, like electric, electricity here is not just light, it's not just air conditioning, it's you know, you're running these stills. Are those on sure. electric or
1: gas? So, um, our stills, all of our agitators and motors run on electricity. We have lighting in most of those to make sure that it's mashing or distilling correctly. And then, all of our heating costs uh, we have a 1.25 million BTU boiler um, that we're paying natural gas to heat all those on. We also pay for the enzymes that we put in, the proprietary yeast strain, which is shockingly expensive. Um, more, more than we were we were hoping to spend. Um, and then, you know, the whole production, you need your tanks, the base cost of those, we finance all that, so we're paying for them every month. Right. You know, there's just there's an overwhelming list of costs that go into something like a distilling right and barrels.
0: Yeah. So barrels. If you're gonna put if you're gonna put this this whiskey in the barrel on and, and one of the things, especially with whiskey that, that people don't necessarily recognize is that the older a whiskey is the more you're going to have to pay for it a because yeah the extra time in the barrel is going to impart some quality characteristics but you're also as a consumer paying for the amount of time that the distiller has to sit on that and not make money off it so you're taking basically you're taking in potential inventory out of circulation so that it can sit there and improve which is it's definitely giving value to the consumer But in the meantime, you're not making money off of that. So there's, it's a really complex back and forth between, you know, how, how do I, you know, how do I make the best products possible and make them at the best price possible? So, right. You also have really nice bottles. No. Can you talk about
1: your bottles a little bit? Sure. Um, so we have kind of a little bit unconventional bottle shapes. We have a really fantastic uh, local designer that helps us with their work. His name is Seth. He's with Tribe Designs here in Frederick. Um, he did a really nice job. He just won a gold medal for the National Addies for our vodka label, which is pretty cool. Whoa. Yeah, there's a, a, a recent recent development there, which is great. But we tried to make something that stands out on the shelf, which... I'm sure you've been to a liquor store, is really, really hard to do. There's every style of bottle, of label, of everything. So it's definitely a balance to, you know, we'd love to put foil and hang tags and shelf talkers and everything else. But, you know, that's, again, adding to our costs as well.
0: Right. So so we've talked about the the cost of craft. So, that, so sure. now, so now um, you know, our listeners are a little bit more informed about exactly what goes into a bottle of spirits what's the value of craft so maybe maybe as a consumer right now i'd be like a little bit more understanding of the fact that craft spirits are more expensive on on the whole than than others but that certainly doesn't mean
1: i'm going to go out of my way to buy them necessarily sure. so what's the value so i think the biggest difference that you get with craft products versus the large products that are out there is the ingenuity and the difference in flavor you get. These are people who, this is their passion. This is something pretty much every distiller that I've met, this is something they love to do. This is something they've been working on for a long time and they really work hard to create something that's different, that's special, that means something to them. You know, those produced by somebody in their own two hands. Um, Whereas a lot of the big guys, you know, I think craft distilling is a little bit different than craft brewing and that some of the larger brands in craft distilling that have been around for a long time make some really good product. You know, Jack Daniels and Maker's Mark have been around for a long time because they have a really good product. But nobody in the Jack Daniels or Maker's Mark distillery has actually touched distill in probably 30 or 40 years. You know, it's all run by computers. It's really sterile. You get that, you know, quality control element to it. But it doesn't have the same level of passion and ingenuity that somebody has put into every bottle, um, that you, you get with, you know, not just our brands, but most craft distilleries that are out there.
0: Sure. So, so essentially one way to look at it would be that when you go and pick up a bottle of your gin on the shelf, Mm -hmm. you've, you probably handled that bottle yourself,
1: right? Yes. Yeah, and every one of our bottles is always hand signed and hand numbered by either Tyler or myself. Um, and yeah, it's not great. I oh, not man. my favorite night of the week. But uh, so, but it, it makes a it makes a big difference. Like one one additional bottle sale for us is a huge difference. It means a lot to our distillery. Whereas one other, you know, Maker's Mark sale, you know, will make the Stockholders of makers mark you know go up a little one tick on their little marker so it's it just it means a lot more to help support these craft local guys um, in addition to you know the the cool products that are out there
0: right and I think that's something that a lot of people can really get behind yeah right so if you're the sort of person who is uh, starting to get into home bartending, you're listening to this podcast, you're trying to learn a little bit more about it. Uh, I think a really good little field trip you can do for yourself is to find your nearest craft distillery. Absolutely. Go out, visit them, learn about the process. And it's great to be able to taste a spirit Uh, In the presence of or with the instruction of the person who's actually made that spirit there's nobody better to tell you about what you're experiencing whether that's mouthfeel whether that's flavor you know to be able to go in and you know for like like smell the smell the juniper berries that they're using for their gin just stuff that you can't get anywhere else so I think that is one way to make craft spirits more valuable to make it worth your extra five dollars to ten dollars for that purchase it's not gonna happen if you just sit there in the liquor store and stare at the bottles. Right. But it will happen if you go out of your way to meet some of these people like Braden, like his business partner, Tyler... And like a ton of the folks, especially here in Frederick. Can you just give a, a brief pitch for the the community you've
1: kind of spearheaded here in Frederick? Absolutely. So we have uh, two other distilleries, 10th Ward Distilling and Dragon Distillery in town. Um, we have a great relationship with both. Um, what we found really early on is that we get more business from working with the other distilleries. Everybody's kind of doing their own different things. So you, the way we look at it is our biggest competition is. You know, the five conglomerate companies that control 97% of the spirits market. You know, we're going up against multi, multi billion dollar companies. They have a marketing budget of, however much they want. And we thought it beneficial right from the beginning to work together to promote the craft industry as a whole, rather than try and you know, undercut each other and you know fight over a tiny piece of the pie. We want a much larger piece of the pie. So we're actually part of the Maryland Distillers Guild as well. So we have a great relationship with all of the other Maryland distilleries. We knew a lot of the DC guys, we knew a lot of the Pennsylvania guys, a lot of the Virginia guys. And it's a really fantastic community You know, if we just need to borrow something for a day, you know, we can call 10th Ward or Lost Ark in Columbia and say, hey, can we come by? We need this for a day. And... They'll, they'll help us out, you know, technical questions, we call around. It's it's really great to be a part of a community like this.
0: Yeah, I've done one event here, and one of the things that I really like is, you know, as opposed to certain events that I've done, perhaps in D.C., uh, you know, or other places, here in Frederick, it really does feel like there's a, a real community celebration of the spirits that are going on, so um, I, I think that you guys really have something special, particularly here in Frederick, and, and I have a feeling that uh, for folks who are from other parts of the country or even other parts of the world there you 're going to be able to find something fairly close to you that mm-hmm. that has uh, its own unique sense of community, so absolutely definitely go out to to try and experience that for yourself so we've talked about how the spirits are made talked about basically the economics of it the, we'll call it the drinkonomics of it and <laughs> I the, like that <laughs> I, I want to make that that's that's one of my uh, my uh, pet little projects I want to make that into a recurring uh, podcast episode where we talk about different economic aspects of it you know whether it's the cost of a cocktail or the cost of you know what it costs to run a bar for example so so that you people understand why the the cocktails out, out at the bar you know tend bucks, sure. 15, 14 bucks. So, makes sense. but what I want to talk about now is what people might do with your spirits in particular. So if you could give kind of a more specific flavor breakdown of your main products and maybe talk about a few cocktails that you or other people around, maybe I, I think you work with some restaurants here in Frederick yeah. as well. So maybe there's some
1: bartenders out there who have made some interesting cocktails with your stuff. Sure. Sure. So we have uh, three products that we sell right now like I mentioned. Um, The first is our Epiphany Vodka. Um, It's a wheat-based vodka, so you get a really nice, mellow taste to it. It's got that buttery, creamy mouth to it that I I really like in a vodka. Um, And then we double distill it, so it's really clean. It's smooth. It's got a really really easy finish to it. And there's a, uh, a bunch of bartenders have picked that spirit up in particular because it's so mellow. You know, you can put it in pretty much anything, just a splash of orange juice and it just disappears away. There's a restaurant up the street called Jojo's that did a really cool cocktail with it. It's a, a strawberry banana... Cocktail with it's basically just vodka, and then they put some strawberry banana mashed up in there, mm. a little bit of mint, um, and then some club soda. It's really simple, really easy to make, and it is delicious. It's, it's like really a vodka good. smash or yes, something like yes, that. Yes, there you go. Very cool. I uh-huh. like the strawberry banana yeah, combo. Yeah, it's really good. So, our next product is our Maryland Heritage White Whiskey. I know most people, when they think of white whiskey, think of the, the moonshine. Ours is distilled a little bit cleaner, so you don't get that kind of moonshine burn to it. It's got a real clean finish. It's got a, we, we use a traditional Western Maryland mash bill. So it's got a lot of rye in it, which gives it that nice spicy peppery base to it. And then we add a little bit of wheat and a little bit of corn to it to give it a hint of sweetness. Um, one thing we found, we actually uh, stone grind all of our grains here in house, which has preserved a lot more of the natural sugars because we're not heating it up like most distilleries with a hammer mill. So you get a good bit of sweetness, that natural grain kind of vanilla caramel sweetness come through with it. So with that peppery base and it tastes really good in some sweeter cocktails. So the tasting room here in Frederick did a really nice like modified old fashioned um, where they you just put a, a little bit of simple syrup in there. They put a splash of mezcal, give it that smokiness to it, and it was. Phenomenal. I've had that one as well, which was great. And then our last spirit um, that we have right now is our forager gin. Um, It's our most popular spirit so far. It's made with 21 different botanicals. We make it a little bit different rather than soaking all of our botanicals, which is typical for gin production. uh, We put put them all in line in our system. We actually distill that alcohol vapor through the botanicals. So it's a lot lighter than your standard gin. It's got a lot of citrus right on the nose. Still has that juniper base to it, so you know it's a gin. We use some floral and savory elements. We have like uh, cardamom and fennel, hibiscus, um, gives it a little bit of that that uh, savoriness to it. And then we finish ours with cinnamon and anise. So it's got a really nice kind of spicy finish to it instead of that real dry juniper that you usually get with gin. Um, and my favorite cocktail I've had with that so far is the bartender Randy down at the wine kitchen has done a corpse reviver with it that was (laughs) phenomenal. It was really good. That bit of absinthe played really nicely with the anise finish on the gin. Oh, I bet. Yeah, it was phenomenal.
0: I love a corpse reviver. I'm going down to New Orleans soon, so I've had corpse revivers on the mind. I think I'm going to, I still have a little bit left at home, so I'm going to have to go and try that. There you go. I I think uh, a couple other cocktails that I I might throw in there, especially for the white whiskey. I feel like it, depending on what vermouth you wanted to use with it, mm-hmm. that would really make like a really nice white Manhattan. Oh yeah. With the with the mash bill that you were describing with the high rye mash yes, bill, yeah. uh, definitely a, a good Manhattan candidate uh if you're looking for a unique spin on that or if you're a Manhattan person and you want to start branching out, why not just make a Manhattan with a slightly different spirit, <laughs> right? Uh and then with the the forger gin, I mean th- this is one of one of my favorite products on the market, actually, and it's why I, I love the guys at McClintock because they're not only are they really great guys, but they make great stuff. So. I got a, a bottle of their batch one, and it's definitely the best, hands down, the best batch one gin that I've ever tasted. Because <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, th- I mean, th- you you know exactly how it goes, right? Because you you put out you 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 sunk all this money into, it. you put out this spirit, and then not everybody is that concerned about it being the best version that it's going to be. You mm-hmm. just get it out to market, get some you know. You also just want to get some customer feedback too. So it's not yeah. a, you're not you're not doing a villainous thing by putting maybe like a, a bit of a rough around the edges product out there you want to get feedback from people but when i was expecting that sort of product (laughs) and i got this really soft and refined gin that was not kicking down the door with juniper that was that had this really nice balance of floral and citrus and some of the other i guess oilier spices Mm -hmm. like the like the anise and the clove and stuff like this the cinnamon that was that just kind of blew me away so uh definitely bravo on that you've got a you've got a lifelong customer here thank you so that is, I think, a really good encapsulation of who you are as a distiller, who what your company is, and I think you've you've done a, an excellent job of kind of pitching this as a place where people should definitely come and check out if they're in the Mid Atlantic. But I want to hit some real quick lightning round questions. All right, uh, get a little sense of personality. Uh, we just talked about some cocktails, but you know, your spirits aside. What is your favorite cocktail? And if you can't uh, name a favorite cocktail of all time, then maybe something you've been more obsessed with recently.
1: So we just talked about it, but the Corpse Reviver is my new favorite cocktail. Uh, We've been hitting them up very frequently to have those. Uh, I actually hadn't had one until they put theirs on the menu, and wow. It's just a lot of fun, and one of those where you just need two, two of them. Yep. <laughs> you don't need any more than
0: that. It's got a lot of kick to it. It's that classic New Orleans, uh, New Orleans strong, strong cocktail yeah, thing. Yeah, if you're
1: gonna get a cocktail, you should get a New Orleans cocktail because yep. they are potent. <laughs> So, can you explain for our listeners what a corpse survivor is? Sure. So, it's um, two ounces of gin. You do an absinthe wash, um, and then I think a, a Lillet is the traditional what you use to put in there. Um, and then they finish theirs with a smoky, uh, smoky wine. I can't remember just a half ounce dash mm. to it, but I can't remember what the normal, uh, the normal finish on that is.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. There's, there's uh, the corpse survivor is actually an entire. Family of cocktails. So Very there's the, the Corpse yeah. Survivor number one through whatever. Okay. Um, I think the most popular one is the Corpse Survivor number two. And that one, I believe, uses orange liqueur and Lillet. I think it's Lillet, mm-hmm. orange liqueur, gin, and the Absinthe Rinse. That's it. Right. All those ingredients are really great for riffing on it. So it makes yeah. it makes complete sense. Yeah, that so
1: that's why they, they replaced that, uh, the orange. I think initially they made it with uh, Cointreau. And then they switched that out for this, uh, kind of smoky, sweeter wine that they just put a dash in, which is not really nice.
0: I like it. And so you've, you learned about, did you learn about this cocktail just by going to the bar down the street? Yes.
1: Yeah. They're right next door, which is, we, we hit them up very often. Um, but yeah, the bartender there is fantastic. So he actually helped us out with a few recent cocktail competitions, um, that, that we just got in the nice. first one, which was a corpse Survivor contest. So very good. I had very many corpse Survivors that yeah. night and they were I, all re- <laughs> really good. I gotta, uh, I gotta learn how to get in on these contests. They yes. sound like fun. Yeah. We're, <laughs> we'll loop you in on the next one for very, sure. Very
0: good. I love it.
1: So, uh, I got the favorite cocktail. What's your favorite spirit? Gin. Um, I really like gin because there's so much variation on it. You know, there's the really dry gins. There's the American style gins. They're a little bit sweeter, more floral. With the craft distilling movement, I think gin has gotten a bad rap for a really long time because usually you get a one or two note gin. It's either juniper or like juniper and rose, juniper and lime, whatever it is. But with this new wave of craft distilling, it's just such a interesting spirit to see all the different variations of, you know, I've had some really good ones that had, you know, really wild stuff in there that, um, I loved. So, uh, yeah, I think gin right now is my favorite spirit.
0: For sure. It's, it's my favorite as well. And I, I, agree wholeheartedly. I think you, you put it really nicely when you talk about like what we have now mm-hmm. in terms of the flavor variety that and we totally did not have this 10 years ago. So yeah. for, for anybody out there who's, who's a, a gin hate, <laughs> this is a really good time to, to take the chance and re- get back revise on board that. yeah yeah revise wow. that now, this is this is my favorite question. If you could have a cocktail with anyone in the world, past or present, <laughs> who would you have the cocktail with? Where would you go? What beverage would you enjoy? Uh, just
1: paint us a picture. Sure. So my absolute favorite spirits enthusiast from history uh, would have to be Mark Twain. He's a noted whiskey lover. I would probably have a Sazerac. I would, I would think we'll keep it with the Southern cocktails for right now. I love Sazeracs as well. And I'm thinking... Uh, Mississippi paddle boat for where to enjoy them. I've never been on one and they, they look like a lot of fun. I really, I really wish that for everybody who answered that question that I
0: could commission for free, obviously, for of no, uh, <laughs> uh, at no cost to myself because nobody wants to pay for art, but uh, commission a painting of the person and their answers so I could get a picture of you just sipping a Sazerac with Mark Twain on a paddle I would boat. love that, I would love that. Well, next time next time you need to pose for a portrait, I think we, we know what the backdrop is, but. Um, are there any books about distilling or cocktails in general that have been particularly influential or enjoyable for you?
1: There, There is one I just finished that I absolutely love. I think a lot of the distilling books that are out there are Sometimes a little little dry, very science heavy, which is good because you need to know that stuff. But there's a great book um, I just finished called Proof, mm. and I can't remember the author's name off the top of my head. I'd have to look that uh, up. I can't either, but we'll we'll definitely
0: stick that in the show notes. Yeah, for sure. And um, I'm familiar with Proof as well. I've, yeah. I've come across it. I haven't read it. What it's, what does it do? Is it basically like uh, you know a breakdown of distilling? It's
1: it's every process in alcohol making. So he goes really in depth from. Um, um, you know, the history of alcohol, you know, yeast is a chapter, fermentation is a chapter. He goes deep on brewing, winemaking, distilling, barrel aging, you know, and then he goes into modern cocktails, kind of the resurgence of craft brewing and and winemaking. I really like it because the way he writes it and all of the little tidbits of information he has, he really makes it fun. He puts it in context. You know, he's a lot of fun stories and interviews with really, you know, people that I admire a lot in the field. Um, that's, you know, you can read it as a seasoned alcohol producer, or you can read it as somebody who has no idea how, you know, alcohol is made. And it really appeals to both sides. And I just, it was a a quick read and a really good one. Very good. Yeah. We'll definitely link to proof in
0: the show notes last question before we, uh, let you tell everyone how they can connect with you. This is again about craft, uh, craft cocktails and and home bartenders. So, uh, as somebody who's spent the last six years working with spirits and, you know, kind of learning about cocktails and Mm -hmm. I'm sure hearing stories from all of your customers about how they like to use your spirits and you know, just all this anecdotal evidence that you've gathered. Uh, if you had to give a piece of advice or multiple pieces of advice to somebody who's just starting to learn about spirits
1: and cocktails Mm -hmm. what would that advice be i would say never stop experimenting i know a lot we get a lot of home bartenders come in here to pick up bottles to ask advice and you know you can. We always give them advice, you know, you can make a Manhattan, you can make a gin and tonic, whatever you want to do. Um, but some of them have come back and just, you know, simple changes, you know, garnish it with a blood orange instead of a lime, garnish it with, you know, whatever else you have. Um, you can really create some really interesting products and people who have been down here who have no professional bartending experience or just getting into cocktails have made some of the best stuff. I've ever, I, have tried, um, just, you know, sometimes that lack of knowledge can really help you and just trying new, new things. There's really, you know, worst case scenario, you, you chug down a bad cocktail and start again. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I think that it's a rite of passage to drink a bad cocktail.
0: I think, I believe if you make a bad cocktail, if you make like just a real stinker, (laughs) like, like you have good intentions, maybe, maybe you slip on the pour, or maybe, maybe it's just like you thought it was going to taste good you were just dead wrong. I'm not the kind of person who thinks you should dump that down the sink. Oh,
1: no alcohol to waste. No alcohol to waste. You gotta just right. grin and bear it.
0: Yeah, and I think, I think you're better for that. And, I mean, it's alcohol, so by the time you get towards the end of it, it tastes less bad than it did when you started. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think I think that's a rite of passage. And uh, the other thing uh, I'll, I'll say off that is that it's not necessarily beginner's luck that that leads new home bartenders to these really great discoveries that you know they come in and tell you about. I think it's a lack of inhibitions because that when you're in an industry and when you learn about things like you know things that are industry standards or things that are like, well, this is just how you make an old fashioned. Right. Then you get stuck in that rut, and, and it might not even be intentional. But you when you go to make your old fashioned, it's like, well, this is it just kind of appears it's like you black out for 20 seconds then you have an old-fashioned in your hand because (laughs) you've made so many that you're just you know stuck in that rut of doing it that way Mm -hmm. and people who are just starting out people who are listening to this podcast and you know learning about some of the the basics and and how to apply them i think the opportunity that you have is that you are that blank slate you get to go out and, and just walk into new and fun things. So, um, Braden, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about distillation, about McClintock and about spirits and cocktails. If people who are listening to this are saying, man, I want to go get a tour by this guy and learn all of the cool knowledge about distillation he has, where can they find you? And then how can they connect with you
1: digitally? Sure. So our website is uh, McClintockDistilling.com. Um, We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and our Twitter is Drink McClintock, and our Facebook and uh, Instagram is McClintock Distilling. You can come uh, to the distillery Thursdays and Fridays from 4 to 8, uh, Saturdays from noon to 8, and Sundays from noon to 6, anytime. Um, And you can always reserve a tour online through our website as well.
0: Awesome. And uh, as we've hinted a couple times during this conversation, you guys are always throwing together some really cool events. We've got a pig roast this Saturday. Uh, Any other different ideas for events or or things that that
1: you've got on the horizon? Uh, We have some really cool partnerships that we're really excited about. Um, We've recently partnered with the Frederick Film Festival up here. We had our first movie screening a few weeks ago um, and we'll be doing some other fundraisers for them. It's usually a really good time. We have uh, some Some homemade sauerkraut and sausages that are usually down here. Um, And we screen anything from digital shorts to nice little uh, animated features and whatever else they have that are all nominated for awards, which is cool.
0: Very cool. And then one thing I will mention, I don't think it's set in stone yet, but I think it's pretty close to being set in stone. I and Braden and another wonderful friend of ours, Rachel from The Sweet Farm, who makes wonderful sour and ginger beer. Yes. We are going to be getting together with Charlie Birkinshaw, I believe, and we're going to be doing a three part class with Frederick Community College this fall, this October. So if you're listening to this anytime in the next few months, chances are you've got an opportunity to check out the Frederick Community College course catalog or send us an email at the podcast and I can send you some information about it. But basically, we're going to be talking about how to make fermented mixers like ginger beer and how to make bitters and shrubs and how spirits are made. And then we're going to kind of cap that off here with a little cocktail tasting.
1: Yes. I'm looking forward to it a lot.
0: Yeah. So... Uh, as you can tell, a lot of great things going on in Frederick. And I hope that you take this as a personal challenge to so go find the craft distilleries that are near where you live, whether that's McClintock or something else. And I hope you give us a little shout out, tag us in any of the mm-hmm. photos that you take uh, at Modern Bar Cart on Instagram. And I'm very excited to see what everybody goes out and uh, experiments with here after this episode. So, Raiden, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. I just want to remind you that this episode might be over, but the journey and the discussion are just beginning. If you're excited about the content in this or any other episode, please tell us. Follow us on Instagram at Modern Bar Cart for recipes and great product tips. Or stalk me personally at Quixologist. That's Q U I X ologist. You can also like us on Facebook by searching modern bar cart or hit us up directly via email by sending a note to podcast at modernbarcart.com. That email address, by the way, is also the one that you should use. If you've got any cocktail or home bartending related questions you'd like us to address, or if you think you have a unique perspective on the cocktail world and would like to be interviewed for all to hear, I'll see you next time. But until then, Drink responsibly and experiment boldly.